This is the Black and Blue Report presented by ABC Insurance Agencies, a better choice for insurance. Now from Studio B or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Daniel Sellerson. Hi everyone, welcome into the Wednesday edition of the Black and Blue Report, the first one of 2018. I'm Daniel Salerson filling in for Sean Kelly, who is on the road with the Pelicans in Salt Lake City, Utah, as the Pelicans take on the Jazz tonight and then finish the road trip on Saturday against the Minnesota Timberwolves. We'll check in with Sean later on in our show as he speaks with David Wesley. It's his first Wesley Wednesday of 2018, and they'll help preview tonight's game boy is it cold here in the crescent city i think it's cold all over the country and you see snow in florida all the way up the northeast and man oh man bundle up today stay warm and uh hopefully we can entertain you with some saints and pelicans talk on this wednesday we have a great show for you we're going to cover a lot of topics today so i don't want to go too long here but we are going to hear from the voice of the panthers mick mick mixon excuse me We've had him on a couple times here, usually have him on every year at least once, and he'll join us to begin our preview of Saints and Panthers in the NFC wildcard round. Of course, four games this week. Saints and Panthers are the last one of the wildcard weekend. That's Sunday afternoon, as uh, the other part of the FC NFC is Falcons and Rams, and that will happen on Saturday night. So we'll talk to McMixon about uh, the Panthers, as it'll be the third meeting of the season with the Saints winning both regular season meetings this season and we'll also talk some college football how about those games on monday night one was pretty good one not so good as the georgia bulldogs wild comeback win over the oklahoma suitors in the rose bowl and then alabama thumping clemson in the sugar bowl here in new orleans 24 to 6 so some of you may like it and some of you may not it's an all sec championship affair on monday in atlanta at mercedes-benz stadium so we'll be in our preview of that with yahoo sports college columnist Pat Forty, he'll join us to talk about those two games on Monday. He was here for the Sugar Bowl. We'll get his thoughts on that. And then also maybe give us some players to look out for you could be seeing on Sundays. So be sure to tune in to Pat Forty. And then, of course, as I mentioned, David Wesley as part of a Wesley Wednesday. Pelicans look to get back over 500, a rough home stretch for New Orleans. I saw them go 1-2 and two with a win against Brooklyn, but then losses to Dallas and New York, not how the Pelicans thought this homestand would go, but now a chance to get back on track. Fortunately, it's on the road. And two good teams as the Jazz are chasing the Pelicans for that eighth spot in the Western Conference. And Minnesota climbing up the Western Conference standing, sitting at the fourth spot right now. So we'll get David Wesley's thoughts on that. And, of course, he'll talk with Sean Kelly. But let's get started right now in this segment. Here's Mick Mixon, the voice of the Panthers. All right, Mick. Well, the Saints won both meetings during the regular season, but we all know the playoffs are a different animal. Is there anything from the two matchups that either team can carry over as far as preparation is concerned, or do basically these teams start from scratch? I don't know. I think, Daniel, these, these games tend to be more independent events than, than people want to make them. I can't tell you how many times this week already I've heard this asinine expression of how hard it is to beat a team three times in a year. That's, of course, relentlessly true, but not for the reasons people assign to it. It's hard to beat a good team one time in a year, much less twice, much less three times. I see no science. There's no evidence that suggests that there's any 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 tactical, strategic, there, there's no nuanced kind of game plan advantage. In fact, the team that you'd rather be is is the Saints. You'd rather be the team that beat the other team twice, and now you're getting ready to to beat them again. 
So anyhow, but uh, sorry for that t- that little tan- That's okay. <laughs> tangential comment. But um, uh, but I think that the Panthers, the formula for hanging in the game at New Orleans, I think will be rooted in the return to prominence of the Panthers' run game. Hopefully Carolina will get Jonathan Stewart back, offensive guard Trey Turner back, and, and we'll be able to, to control the clock a little bit and, and make some yards running it. I'm glad you brought up Jonathan Stewart because that was going to be one of my next questions. He was held out during the regular season finale, of course, due to the back tightness. But how does that change the Panthers' running back approach? You still have Christian McCaffrey as well. How does that change that, that backfield for Carolina? means everything. You know, Cameron Artis Payne is a talented back. The coaches love Fozzie Whitaker here. He's just that that, that classic uh, good on special teams, good locker room guy, catches the ball, can make yards in a variety of ways. But uh, there, there really there is no John, there is no Jonathan Stewart on it. There's no other player in the backfield that combines Stewart's ability to go up and over on the goal line, uh, his robust running style, that muscular, heavy core that he brings to running it, and and he's good in the screen game as well. So I, I think that that he could it could mean now the Panthers got to be careful we don't over assign too much importance to him. Cam Newton's got to play well. A lot of people, everybody's got to play well in order to beat the Saints. But Jonathan Stewart's a huge part of kind of Carolina's offensive DNA. Let's talk about the Saints uh, running back duo of Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. Both have uh, been hard to stop this season, both of them making the Pro Bowl. Uh, but the Panthers have one of the best run defenses in the NFL. How, how do you, I know you can't really stop those two, but how do you try to contain the two-headed monster of Kamara and Ingram? Got to tackle better. In my, in my memory, my first blush on it from the Saints-Panthers game in New Orleans, there were too many missed tackles by the Panthers. Uh, the, the, the gap control wasn't as sound as Steve Wilkes will, will need it to be. There was also the Mike Pilardi, the curious dropped uh, punt snap that, that gave the Saints a short field. I also think, and I don't coach the team, this is just I'm just one guy, so don't spread this around, <laughs> but just me and you talking, Daniel. Okay. I think that this is – Coach Rivera is big on deferring if he wins the toss as the visiting team or if the other team, the, home, uh, the, the visiting team at Bank of America Stadium loses the coin toss. But I think this is one stadium, this is one quarterback, this is one offense, the Saints, where if you win the toss, get the ball. Take the ball, try to drive it, get some points, and at least prolong the inevitable, which is that tightly scripted, very, very kinetic, uh, well-thought-out opening drive the Saints always have planned. What about for the Panthers as far as question marks? What are the biggest concerns for you heading into Sunday's game against the Saints? Safety. Uh, the Panthers need Kurt Coleman back. Uh, the the the, the blitzing is great. Everybody loves it. But unless you blitz with defensive balance, and unless you've got a plan in the back end, then against a quarterback like Drew Brees, it just courts disaster. So I think hopefully having Kurt Coleman back will uh, will help uh, the Panthers cover some ground in the back end. I mentioned tackling already. Everybody talks about okay, you got to move. Drew Brees off his spot. Well, my golly, how do you do that when he slots the throwing lane so effortlessly? The only defense I've ever seen that works on Drew Brees is a ball control offense to keep him, uh, to keep his possessions, his touches at bay. Uh, and then you got to be clean on teams. So I think I, I think those would be the things that I would advance on your show. 
All right, I know you mentioned some of the some of the biggest keys for the Panthers to pull off the upset there and something, but what about New Orleans? I mean, obviously this is a Carolina team that's won 11 games this year. What do the Saints have to do uh, to try to make it three wins against the Panthers this year? You've got to deal. You, the Saints will not win unless you can deal with the ferocity of the Panthers' pass rush. This front four is too deep. And, and every tackle except one can play end, and every end except one can move inside. So Steve Wilkes does a great job of keeping fresh bodies in along the defensive line. Uh, so with Drew Brees throwing hot, getting the ball, getting rid of the ball, he's good at that, but, that, but you've got to be able to handle, any team has to be able to handle the Panthers' pass rush. And then the variable in this equation that no one can solve for. We could do, you and I could order pizza. We could have wings brought in. We could do a, your show. We could talk this, this game for uh, until, until tomorrow morning. But the variable that, that you cannot solve for is Cam Newton. He's maddeningly inconsistent at times, but when he's right, there's nobody else like him in the league, and there's nobody else like him that's ever played quarterback in the NFL. I think pizza and wings sounds good right now. You got me hungry. I appreciate it, Mick. <laughs> um, before I let you go, three NFC South teams are in the playoffs, and, and those are the only teams in the NFC that QBs have played in the Super Bowl. Is this one of the most wide-open playoffs you've seen in a while as far as top to bottom, one through six in the NFC? Of course. Yeah, isn't it, though? The Vikings are, are good. The Rams are good. But the Vikings look, look have looked a little more vulnerable the last few weeks. Uh, and then the Rams, without playoff experience, there there'll be some question marks about them until they take it deep with a 31-year-old head coach. And then Philadelphia, of course, without Carson Wentz, you know they everybody's, and you know they may win it all. You just don't know. But for right now, everybody wants to 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 go to Philadelphia with a chance to win that game and go to the NFC Championship game. So I agree. I think it's wide open. I think the Saints have got the pressure on them because they got the pole position to to go to the Super Bowl as I see it. All right, should be a good one on Sunday afternoon in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. That's McMixon, radio voice of the Carolina Panthers. Mick, I appreciate the time. As always, safe travels to the Big Easy, and we'll see you on Sunday. Look forward to it, Daniel. Thank you. All right, up next, we'll transition to college football as Pat Forty joins the podcast. Stay with us. In 1907, Dixie Beer was a balanced, refreshing lager brewed with love and top quality ingredients. It would grow to become something that connected us, the neighborhood beer of every New Orleans neighborhood. And now, Dixie is back to that 1907 recipe, original and reinvented, just like its hometown. Visit DixieBeer.com to learn more and always drink Dixie responsibly. Dixie Brewing Company, New Orleans, Louisiana. What is big? Big is an insatiable hunger for victory. Big is a fearsome front court with AD and Boogie. Big is packing the stands, showing your team colors, and making so much noise they give you the team ball. Come see the Pels face off against the Memphis Grizzlies Saturday, January 20th. Do Saturday night right with friends and family at the Smoothie King Center. Visit pelicans.com for tickets. New Orleans Pelicans, do it big. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Daniel Sellerson. All right, time to move on from pro football and head to the college ranks. We are less than a week away from the College Football National Championship in Atlanta and to help us preview the game between Georgia and Alabama, we welcome in Pat Forty, who is a national college columnist 
for Yahoo Sports. Pat, happy you can join us once again, and Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Same to you. Happy to be on with you. Pat, I know you were at the Sugar Bowl here in New Orleans, but I want to start with the Rose Bowl, which was such a great game to watch. What did you make of Georgia's comeback victory? Oh, it was just an you know, incredible game, one of the best I've seen. Uh, just wild swings of momentum and emotion, and uh, you know, at, at various times it looked like there was absolutely no stopping Oklahoma and or Georgia. Uh, and uh, you know, to, for it to go into overtime and then double overtime um, seemed kind of like a fitting conclusion to an epic game. And I was really impressed with. Uh, with the way Georgia came back after it looked like they were going to get run out of the stadium in the first half. Yeah, it didn't look promising from Georgia in quarters one and two, that's for sure. But, of course, all eyes were on the Heisman Trophy winner, Baker Mayfield. But I think I was more impressed with the poise of Georgia's freshman quarterback, Jake Fromm. I know he got a lot of help from the duo of Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle. But have you ever seen a freshman quarterback keep his composure like Fromm did on Monday afternoon? Well, there's been a few of them, but not many. You know, I mean, I think Jameis Winston won the, the Heisman as a freshman and, and led him to a national championship. Uh, he was a redshirt freshman. Fromm's a true freshman. Uh, Fromm, you know, played a, a phenomenal game. He's had a great, great season. Uh, he is very, very hard to rattle. He makes plays when they need him to, which he did certainly in that game. Uh, it's nice to have that running game as a as a a backbone basically of the of the offense but it's not the only thing because he, he can do it um so you know georgia's got an amazing quarterback situation next year they're bringing in the number one quarterback in the country they have a five-star backing up a five-star right now so it's uh, it's a good problem but i think they have too many quarterbacks yeah i think you're right on that uh, unfortunately, you were at the Sugar Bowl here. Not unfortunately, you're here in New Orleans watching the game between Alabama and Clemson, but it wasn't as good of a game as uh, the Rose Bowl with Oklahoma and Georgia. Did you expect such a lopsided victory from the Tide? Sure didn't. No, I really I went into the game thinking Clemson would win a close game. Uh, I was uh, very impressed by the Alabama improvement defensively, and obviously they got healthy, and I, th- I think they got angry uh, after the Auburn game. They they. A lot of guys banged up for that game, and in previous games, uh, they got their kind of got their swerve back together. Give Nick Saban four weeks, give them some motivation in terms of people criticizing whether they should even be in the playoff. Give them a revenge game against the team that beat them for the national championship last year, and that's a, a pretty powerful uh, cocktail, I guess, of, of of intangibles. And all of a sudden, you know, they were really ready to play and just I think defensively dominated the game up front. And now we have an all-SEC matchup for the championship. You wrote a great column about this as far as saying that 39 states uh, will probably hate the matchup between Alabama and Georgia. But with that being said, does this potentially hurt ratings and interest just with an all-SEC battle, or does it intrigue fans a little bit more? It'll probably hurt ratings in general, but I I don't really understand the mentality of college football fans who have been invested so much in this whole season and then you get to the championship game, and because your favorite team or your favorite league isn't in it, you're just not going to watch. I, I don't quite get that. Um, and I get a sense. I mean, I hear all this talk from a lot of people, you know, boycotting the championship or not going to watch. <laughs> that's just that's silly to me. And the other thing, you know, people may not like it, but the SEC teams won fair and square on the playing field. You know, number one and number two seeds were beaten by the three and four from – the SEC, and that's the way it goes. So, you know, it's not like you could, if you're a Big Ten fan, you could say, oh, the Big Ten was unfairly excluded, but 
Alabama backed up its inclusion pretty impressively on Monday night. Uh, also, part of your piece was talking about the ongoing conversation of expanding the playoff field from four to eight. I think you kind of mentioned it here as far as uh, the Big Ten being left out. Also, UCF going undefeated and not getting in, and now they're declaring themselves national champions. Um, do you think the field should get expanded in your eyes, but also do you think it happens anytime soon? Yeah, I mean, I've I've always been in favor of a bigger playoff. I'm, I'm thrilled we have a playoff. hated the BCS. This is better, but it's not perfect. I would like to see six or eight or 10 or 12 or 16, you know, whatever I think, you know, whatever make it more inclusive. And I understand you run into major logistical problems as far as scheduling it uh, with the academic calendar. Uh, you don't want to make players play too many games, uh, you know, so there, there are some, a few concerns uh, about it, but I, I, I do think this is the kind of thing that will create a greater national impetus to to see how they can improve the system. There's there's going to be big resistance to it, but I think also there will be a lot of people that will look at it with fresh eyes and say, hey, how can we make this better? How can we make it more inclusive? How can we make this a national tournament, so to speak? I know the FCS has the 20 teams, and they do a, a bracket. I don't know if it's a fair comparison to compare the FCS to um, the FBS, but is it fair as far as saying, well, if they can do it, why can't the FBS do the same? Well, uh, yeah, there's certainly some element of, of, of that for sure. Uh, you know, one thing they don't have and I would love to get rid of is conference championship games. I think they are, generally speaking, useless. Uh, and if you took that out, then – that would be one fewer uh, games for, for most of the top teams to play. There could probably be other ways to, to make this a little bit more manageable. Um, and, you know, it, it, it certainly young men the same age, in the same academic situation, basically, on the FCS level, if, if they can pull this off and, uh, and make it work, then, yes, you would like to think that it can be done by the FBS as well because there shouldn't be much difference at all. Does UCF have a legitimate gripe about one not being in the playoff and two declaring themselves national champions by going undefeated and beating Auburn? Well, I, I'll say this: I, you know, I have just fabulous admiration for UCF for the season they had. I love the fact that Scott Frost stayed with the team and coached them before going to Nebraska. I love the fact that Nebraska didn't, you know, make that difficult for him. Uh, I loved everything about the UCF story. To go from winless to undefeated as quickly as they did, and the way they did it was awesome. But no, you know that that team was not, never going to make a four-team playoff. Didn't play anyone in the regular season outside of its conference. There were, there were some good teams in the conference, but never got a shot. You know they had a, a game scheduled against Georgia Tech that was canceled by the hurricane, and lacking any other games against Power Five competition, it just wasn't going to happen. You can call yourself a national champion. I think that's silly, and I think it it kind of almost tarnishes a little bit of the the story. Uh, in an ideal world, yes, I'd like to see UCF get that chance in a six team or eight team playoff. I, I would have loved to have seen UCF get the chance, and I do think that there was, uh, you know, that they were unfairly penalized. They were they were ranked too low the entire season, and not really. You know, at least put on on at least a, a playing field where they where you would compare them. Uh, but I just don't see any legitimate grounds to say we're national champions. 
I agree with you there. That's for sure, Pat. All right, before I let you go, I know Saints fans are geared up for the playoffs, but the national championship is also a good opportunity for them to watch both teams as far as maybe some players playing on Sundays, possibly in a black and gold uniform. Give me a couple of players Saints fans should keep in their eye out on in Monday's championship game. Well, you know, I mean, I think you look at the defenses of both teams and you see some some true stars. Roquan Smith at linebacker for Georgia, uh, I think will be a very high draft pick. Uh, great motor, great speed. Uh, struggled for a while against Oklahoma, but then made some very big plays in the second half. Uh, on the defensive line, obviously, for Alabama, there's some studs, although I think their best player and maybe the best defensive player, probably out there the best defensive player in all of college football, is defensive back uh, Minka Fitzpatrick for Alabama, who I think is a lot in the Tyron Matthew mode. So, you know, certainly your listeners are familiar with him uh, from LSU, where you can you can put him about anywhere in the secondary. He can cover, he can hit, uh, he makes things happen. Smart player. Um, you know, those guys. Then you got the two senior running backs, obviously, from Georgia, Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, who certainly will be drafted. There, there, there's, there will be plenty of NFL talent on the field when those two teams get together. All right, should be a fun one on Monday between the Crimson Tide and the Georgia Bulldogs. That's Pat Forty, National College columnist for Yahoo Sports. He was at the Sugar Bowl on Monday and will be at the National Championship on this Monday in Atlanta. Pat, with how cold it is outside all across the country, I'm glad that Sugar Bowl and the National Championship are both played in domes for your sake. Thanks for the time and enjoy the game. All right. Thanks very much. Happy New Year to you. You too. We'll wrap things up with a little Pelicans talk next on the Black and Blue Report. Now, Uber takes you couch to courtside at the tap of a button. Heading to a Pelicans game, Uber helps you pass on the parking and focus on the fun. And if you're still an Uber rookie, you can get $20 off your first ride with code PELICANS18. Uber, a proud partner of your New Orleans Pelicans. The New Orleans Pelicans have the perfect way for you to do it big with your buds by scoring the Guys Night Out six-pack presented by Loft 18. Packages are available for select Pelicans home games throughout the season and include two tickets, four beers, and a $20 gift certificate to Loft 18, your ultimate indoor golfing experience, all for as low as $50. Do it big with the next Guys Night Out six-pack presented by Loft 18 on Tuesday, January 30th against the Sacramento Kings. Visit pelicans.com to plan your Guys Night Out today. It's Pelicans game day. This is the Black and Blue Report. All right, before we get out of here on this Wednesday, let's talk a little basketball. Pelicans and Jazz tonight from Salt Lake City, Utah. Of course, it's a Wesley Wednesday, the first one of the calendar year. Here's Sean Kelly and David Wesley. Guys, take it away. All right, Daniel, thank you very much. And yes, the first Wesley Wednesday of the new year. Takes us on the road. <laughs> Man, it feels like a lot of road here of late. And we ended, or we started the month of December with uh, Utah, and we'll start the month of January with Utah as well. So greetings, everyone, from Salt Lake City, where actually in the last 24 hours it's been warmer in Salt Lake City than it has in New Orleans, Louisiana. On that note, David, say hello to the, <laughs> to the folks. Happy New Year to all you out there, and uh, hope you had a, a wonderful, safe New Year's Eve. And I did as well, and here we are in good old Utah. Hey, we didn't end 2017 very well, did we? Two home losses in a row to two teams the Pelicans probably should have beaten at home, too, in Dallas and New York. 
Yeah, well, when you start thinking about establishing home at some point, um, you're hoping that, especially games like those, you go out and do what you need to do and, and get those wins. And two teams combined for five wins on the road at this point in the, in the game, you're thinking, sure, there's an opportunity to kind of create some separation from the 500 mark, start moving up the, the leaderboard, if you will, and opportunity blown because they did not get it done and it's and it's really disappointing and I'm sure they're just as disappointed but somewhere somehow they got to figure out how to get this right I looked it up through 36 games you ready for this the Pelicans are averaging 111.2 points per ball game they're allowing 111.2 points per ball game and they're 18 and 18 it's a total wash through the first 36 it, it is, and, and to me, this team is, is better than that, uh, is better than what they've played, um, and they've shown it. Right? When you see this team go out and play well and do all the things they need to do, uh, you get excited. You're saying, okay, they're turning this corner. Uh, Three-game win streak, and you're thinking two sub, you know, not very good teams or not playing well teams, there's an opportunity. But both those teams came in. Dallas and the Knicks came in playing probably some of their better basketball f- of the year. And it, and it showed from them, and it also showed a lack of uh, sense of urgency from the Pelicans. I, I didn't think they approached either one of those games the right way. They got down early and just never could kind of catch up. And then when they did catch up against Dallas, they weren't able to finish. Can we label this team? Do you want to smack a label onto these Pelicans? Can you at this point? I don't know. I don't know who they are. I don't know if they know who they are. And, and to me, that's the frustrating part of it is because it seems like as soon as you start drinking the Kool-Aid, they show you the Kool-Aid isn't very sweet. And, and, and that's very disappointing because, you know, uh, again, I've had people talk about uh, people that watch this team every night, play every day, and um, say that they were going to be 10 games over 500. And as much as I would love to believe that, they do something they did the other the, the last two games, and you go, I, I don't see it because it doesn't matter who it is in the league. They could lose to it, and you can anyway, but it doesn't matter who it is in the league. They could possibly win it. So how do you look down that schedule and you count this win, this win, this win, and be right about this team when you just never know what you're going to get? No nothing. I mean nothing from the bench the last two games. Does it matter why or why not? I think it matters because you do need some production from the the bench. Um, I don't think it's as telling as you might think because uh, for one reason, the bench is, is not playing a ton of minutes, not a very deep bench, not a bench where you count on, you know, that guy coming off the bench and scoring you 12 a night. So, uh, you know, what you get from the bench is kind of, I think coaches playing them like, you got it going, and it's a pretty short leash. And when they don't show signs of doing whatever is expected or whatever the coach is seeing, then their minutes are a lot shorter. So uh, our, our the starters for the Pelicans play a ton of minutes, and they're expected to do most of the heavy lifting. And so that kind of almost unfair to the bench and that, you know, they may not get the flow and the minutes that, that it takes to, to be consistent. Utah tonight. You remember that kid Donovan Mitchell we saw a month ago? He's playing tonight, by the way, for the Utah Jazz. He's had a heck of a December, hadn't he? 
Uh, yeah, he has had a brilliant December, and uh, you know, I think he's up around 20-something a game uh, in December. I, I mean, it's, it's fun to watch a rookie come out, uh, and again, below the radar, and he's kind of making his own, sh- his own splash because uh, I don't think anybody really knew who Donovan Mitchell was, and uh, he really showed me something in that first game. He was, he was everything you could ask of a basketball player. Forget a rookie, forget a young player of a basketball player because down the stretch he was good. During the game he was good, made good decisions, took good shots. I mean, he's fun to watch. I, I could understand it if maybe he didn't get the full attention of the Pelicans going into that game on December the 1st. But after he dumped 41 on New Orleans, and then, as you said, uh, you know, 20-something, 22, 23 average for the month, I would imagine there's something now in place for him tonight here in Salt Lake City. Well, you know, as, as you go along, and, and this is how you show how good you are at what you do. You know, when you do something special like 41 or you do something special like catch and shoot and you're a good shooter or, you know, or you're a good post-up guy or whatever – Teams have to pay attention, and they have to game plan for for those things. You may only get five catch-and-shoots all game, but they don't want you knocking down threes. So this guy, you got to pay attention, and you got a game plan, and you you look at that film and you say, well, he's good in pick-and-roll. we got to get up on the pick-and-roll. He's good at shooting the basketball. we got to get to him. So, yeah, they're going to be paying attention and paying attention a lot. David, you're familiar with the story of the boy who cried wolf, correct? Okay. So here we are looking at Utah tonight, and then the road trip takes us to Minnesota, and and seemingly we have this conversation on and on about teams that possibly are going to be around you in the standings or that you're battling for a playoff spot with. Using the the backdrop of the boy who cried wolf, how do we have this conversation again about big games, big weeks, whatever, and yet we don't see anything, I guess, come of it. You know what I mean? I do. I know exactly what you mean, and, I, and it's it's uh, it's something that we will continue to talk about. It, it will be something that we continue to pay attention to. Uh, I just wonder how it sits with the players. Are they looking at these games as potential tie-breaking games at the end of the year? Could be the difference in a seed getting in at all. Um, and again, these are the teams that that. You have to beat. It, it puts it up there, importance of a little bit more. I don't care how you spin it. It's Im- more important the Denver's, the you know, the, the Utah's, Minnesota's. I mean, uh, they're, they're, it's a big cluster. And if you're not armed with some tie-breaking wins, you could be on the outside looking in. Get your player hat on for a moment here. I had some fans come up to me the other day and say, I love how – Anthony and DeMarcus and others talk about how the effort wasn't there tonight or we need to have a better effort or more consistent effort. But then they, in the very next breath, they're like, can we not hear that anymore? And if the players are recognizing, what's the translation from recognizing there's a problem to acting upon the problem? Well, good basketball gives you energy. And do they recognize that? So if you take an early long shot, yeah. it, can take, it can take your energy down a notch. If you turn the basketball over, it can take your energy down a notch. If you're making good plays and there's four or five passes, the ball goes from one side to the other, drive it, kick it, drive it, kick it, 
the energy is up. You look at the Brooklyn game, and everybody's energy seemed to be wonderful. It's a lot of passing, 40 assists. That is energetic. Uh, diving on the floor, making the, getting the 50-50 ball. Those kind of plays are energy plays. It, this team is not making enough of those type of plays to fuel that energy, and they're making too many negative plays to take it away. I don't know if you can just say, hey, let's go, let's go play harder. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I think you have guys that play hard, and you have guys that just don't. And, you know, sometimes you can inspire somebody to play a little bit harder than, than maybe normal, or maybe they thought they had in the tank. It's like the fans getting in the game, and you feel this energy. And, but they have to find it some way. And I think, it, I think for them, it starts with making good basketball plays and, and, and moving from there. It's crazy, David, in that the other night we were all talking about, hey, the Pelicans can have their first four-game winning streak of the season. And then it didn't happen. But at the same time, they haven't had a significant losing streak either, hence the record of 18 and 18. Now, obviously, with two losses coming to this road trip, you might have this little bit of a problem. So I sit there and say, I lean back on old things or, you know, flawed thinking, I guess, and saying, okay, if these are the problems, then shake it up. Shake something up. Something's going to be shaken up. It's, a, it's like there's a shake-up every night. <laughs> it's like a surprise. It's like unwrapping a, a gift or a dud in some cases almost every night with these guys. Yeah, the uh, secret Santa is what, we, <laughs> what we're getting from night to night. We, we don't know if it's a gag gift or, or, or something we really want to keep or do we want to trade it with the guy that went before us. You know, it, it's um, – I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I really don't know because there's a, there's a lot that depends on the top half of your order. So, Drew, um, Cousins, and AD, and they're getting their numbers – and certainly as a basketball player, some people may look around and go, well, I'm doing my job. And, and no, it's, it's not that simple. You're, you're getting your numbers, but how are you getting your numbers? Are you taking that shot in the middle of a run that's a bad shot that has everybody, you know, almost drop their head or drop their shoulders? Are you making that turnover in a crucial time when this could be the difference between winning and losing and it starts with them. And, yes, they're playing fabulous. They're putting up great numbers. You can't deny that. But it's not winning. And as the leaders of this team, it's on them. Like it or not, it, you know, they get the credit. They also get the blame. They have to figure out a way, what does it take? Do I need to get him the ball more? Do I need to move the ball more? Do I need to turn down a good one to get a great one on the majority of the possessions? And when they move the basketball, they're fun. When they don't, they're pretty predictable. Yeah. Hey, we're starting January. That's traditionally a month where we see teams make a move as far as their place in the world and setting up things for toward the All-Star break. Have you noticed anything else around the league? Something caught your eye a little bit? East or West? Doesn't matter to me. Um, no, you know what? In, in the last few days, it's been, for me, all Pelicans. I, I, I'm not, I haven't really paid attention a whole lot. Uh, you know, with Christmas and being with the family, and it's, it was nice to be home through Christmas, through New Year's. Uh, I haven't really paid attention, and, and, and certainly I'm going to, uh, you know, lock back in and, and start looking around and, and seeing what teams are moving and how they're moving and, um, you know, what teams are playing well and what, what teams are struggling. But uh, my main concern is what are the Pelicans doing? And I think it starts with them. 
and they can't depend on other teams losing. They have to go out and win some games. I thought that would have been a good opportunity for a five-game win streak and, and, and start having that conversation of, of separation. And, hey, they, they've proved already that they're a little better on the road or a little more comfortable on the road. So win those five games, come out on the road and, and, and continue that with good play and good momentum. And it's almost like starting over again in every sense of the word, 18 and 18, lost two games and trying to get above 500. I get it. There's enough. There's plenty going on at home here that we need to worry about. Yes. Hey, any New Year's resolutions? You doing them in this year or no? Never do New Year's resolutions. I I I I, I feel like one day does not make you lock into this New Year thing. It's something you you plan to do anyway, or something in the middle of the year that you do that you just go out and do it and commit to it and uh you know when i make up my mind i usually commit pretty good and i don't need a new year's resolution to do it all right just a better david wesley in 2018 i'm just no fun (laughs) (laughs) all right well that'll do it daniel for us here uh and we'll send it back to you uh it'll be good to be home next week again strange trip though uh, daniel that the pelicans will play these two games in like five days on the road we're going to go head to minneapolis uh, tonight or tomorrow yeah tonight after the game Tomorrow will be in Minneapolis where it will be a high of four, as in degrees Fahrenheit. Room service. <laughs> On that note, from the Grand America Hotel Lobby in Salt Lake City, Daniel, back to you in Studio B. Nope, nope, nope. Can't do it. Can't do it. I would be inside the whole time there in Minneapolis, and I, I'm cold right now in New Orleans, and it's maybe 30-something degrees here, so I can't imagine what they're going to go through in Minnesota the next couple days. Again, Jazz and Pelicans tonight from Vivint Smart Home Arena in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'll have Pelicans warm up for you starting at 7.30. Pre-game show on Fox Sports New Orleans will start at the same time. On the radio, Sean Kelly and Victor Howell have the call at 8. And Joel Myers, David Wesley, and Jen Hale will have the call on Fox Sports New Orleans. And on Friday's show, we'll ramp up our preview of Saints and Panthers. It's a playoff edition of Friday's Black and Blue Report. And we'll also get you ready for Pelicans and Timberwolves on Saturday night. Big thanks to Pat Forty and Mick Mixon, of course, Sean Kelly and David Wesley. And thank you for listening to the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans, the Black and Blue Report. Until Friday, I'm Daniel Salerson. Have a great rest of your Wednesday.